Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus Lad, and what I do is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But lately, it's been just comics. <clears throat> In fact, it's been primarily Legion of Superheroes comics, to be specific. And, I, you know, I have to tell you, sometimes, guys, for those of you who aren't podcasters and you don't, you're, you maybe just don't really think twice about expressing an opinion in public. Let me just tell you a little bit about what it's like to be a podcaster because, or, uh, well, let me at least tell you what it's like to be me. I mean, I can't speak for all podcasters, but at least for me, the way that, the way that I podcast is I don't necessarily know exactly what I'm going to say uh, before I start recording, right? I'm not reading off a script. I'm just making this all up as I go along. And so I know what I want to talk about, but I don't necessarily know what I'm going to say. <clears throat> Does that make sense? So a lot of this, in case I'm not being clear, a lot of what I say is pretty much ad-libbed, right? And usually that goes off without a hitch. But I have to tell you, when I was talking about Legion of Superheroes number nine, I made a couple of comments about the Brian Michael Bendis uh, Legion of Superheroes, his work on that and everything, and I, I basically just made a few comments in passing, and it's not like there was this almighty, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it's not like there was this almighty uh, outcry or anything like that, this huge groundswell of opposition, but I did get a little bit of flack, you know, just a tiny bit, saying, you know, asshole, you're you're not reading this, and that's that's fine, you know, whatever, but here you are, you're sitting there dogging on something that you're not reading, you know? So it's like, I guess, uh, I guess the message there is, where do you get off trash talking Bendis like that? And I, I will admit, <clears throat> it is kind of, I, I don't know what happens when I podcast that my throat gets all dry like this, I have to, and I have to do that <clears throat> thing all the time. But anyway, sorry about that, guys. Anyways, I try. Actually, you know what? I do try to clip those out when I when, when I record, and I don't know. Usually, I manage to get three or four or five of them, and then after that, I just get kind of bored of it. So, eh, anyway, I doubt I've uh, I've ever gotten them all, but whatever. So, basically, the like I say, the 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 attitude that a lot of people seem to have is, it's like you're you're shit talking something that you've never read before. And, you know, what business do you have doing that? Like I was saying, it is kind of ironic that of all people, I would do that because I did, for those of you who don't remember, or for that matter, just fucking never knew, I did one time do a, a Brian Michael Bendis appreciation series. I called it Tremendous Bendis. And I basically just took a look back at kind of a broad spectrum of uh, Bendis comics and the objective that I had was to say that these are actually really good. You know, he catches a lot of shit as a writer, but I kind of like some of his, not everything, but I kind of like some of his stuff, you know? And so, yes, I'm, I'll be the first to acknowledge it is kind of funny and not necessarily ha-ha funny that of all people, I would talk trash about Brian Michael Bendis. It's just that, I don't know, it's like lately I've, I, I sometimes feel like I've, I, not so much that I'm changing my opinion, because the stuff of his that I liked back in the old days, I still like now. But it's, I don't know, ever since he made the jump to DC, 
Uh, it's just everything that I know about what he's done, it just kind of sounds, I don't know, just boring or bad or shitty or just a, just a, just a horrible idea to start with or, you know, just fucking whatever. And so I do kind of find myself these days somewhat coming down with, you know, on the same side as the masses that, you know, maybe his shtick worked okay at Marvel. I'm not convinced that it's going to fly at DC. So anyway, whatever you want to make of that. So, I mean, let's face it. Uh, at the time that I record this, well, actually, you know what? I'll just spare you that little rant. But anyway, so uh, in case you hadn't figured it out yet, though, basically what I'm going to be doing this week is once again talking about more Legion of Superheroes five years later. Specifically, Legion of Superheroes Volume 4, Number 10. And so I guess without without any real further ado on that, uh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm tired of talking about the credits. It's the, Ultimately, it all goes back to the GIF anyway, so fuck it. Anyway, so story synopsis for Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Number 10. The, at least what it says on the cover is Roxas Strikes. So, you know, fuck it. We'll, we'll use that as, as the title of this thing. Story synopsis for Roxas Strikes is as follows. On Wynoth, former members of the Legion of Superheroes gather, gather to mourn the death of their friend and teammate, Block. The Legionnaires mostly enjoy the mini-reunion, too. Elsewhere, a pair of Dominators debate the mess their little conspiracy with Roxas has become. They both realize that if the Legionnaires don't shut Roxas down, sooner or later, he's going to come after them and probably expose their covert domination of EarthGov. As all that's going on, this giant green blob of semi-sentient energy is still heading toward uh, Wynoth when, suddenly, it vanishes. Back on Earth, Tenzel Kim has landed his shuttle and, using his special privileges, manages to gain entry into Metropolis Spaceport. Meanwhile, Roxas infiltrates the Rand's plantation and uses tech and ruthlessness to take down several Legionnaires. <clears throat> By the end of this issue, Devlin Orion is missing, Celeste and Mech Rands are in critical condition, Cam, Joe, and Bounty are presumed dead. To be continued. So, what did I think? Well, starting with the cover, this is, I would say, a pretty, this is a pretty decent uh, depiction of, uh, of what happens in this issue. I mean, because let's face it, the, the franchise of, uh, uh, of this issue is Roxas basically showing up on Wynoth and wrecking shop on everything. So that's, in a nutshell, that is kind of what we see on the cover. You've got this, uh, you've got Mech Rans, he's splayed out on the ground. He's, his face is all fucked up and bruised. He's bleeding out of his nose and mouth. And uh, he's just definitely looking like he's seen better days. While in the background, you see Roxas uh, surrounded by flames and he's uh, making his way through a gigantic hole in the metal wall. And it's pretty clear that destruction has come to Wynoth, or at least whatever planet Mech Rans happens to be on, but we all know that it is Wynoth, even though nothing on the cover really suggests it. Whatever, I'm rambling. Point is, this is, I guess this is a, a, a pretty good cover, but it's like at the same time, it just, for me anyway, it just doesn't really reach the same levels as, say, issue number eight, which had, it, it was partially done by Kurt Swan, partially done by the GIF, or issue number nine, which had, um, 
uh, Laurel Gant. She's basically riding around the cosmos on the uh, on top of a uh, of a meteor. So you know you got that. Um, it, it this just doesn't have necessarily the same uh, just visceral kick assitude of the cover for uh, Legion of Superheroes number four with Monel on the cover. He's cracking his knuckles and looking like looking like he's about to kick some serious ass. You know it just doesn't really have. Well, I guess what I'm saying is it just doesn't have that. Or for that matter, even issue number one, you know, which is uh, it's basically Cosmic Boy wandering around through just some kind of nondescript rubble. He's surrounded by smoke and everything's in kind of secondary colors. It's all gritty and nasty looking. There's a there's a kind of beat up and chewed up, scarred up uh, Legion of Superheroes ring laying on the ground. And it's pretty like the defeat that the Legion of Superheroes have suffered uh, by the time of this first issue, it's pretty apparent on on the cover, and so again, that's another great cover. And and my, I guess my purpose in saying all of this is to say that the 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 uh, cover for issue number ten is fine in its place. It's not like there's anything wrong with it, but it's like at the same time, it just doesn't really have the same uh, gotcha factor that those other covers that I mentioned have. So. Whatever you want to make of that, I don't know. It's just, um, again, not bad. I like it. It's a good cover, but just not quite up to scratch as compared to some of the other stuff that we've gotten, especially in the last couple of issues. So make of all that what you will. So anyway, getting into the actual comic book, though, guys, we've had basically two fill-in issues in a row. <clears throat> and in fact, not just fill-in issues. Predominantly, they were two sort of flashback issues. And... You can argue, as I kind of half-heartedly did, but you can argue that the reason for those flashback issues was, I guess now that we're pretty well ensconced into the in, into the Glorithverse, that it is worth doing to kind of set down the rules of this new continuity, what we're working with, what stayed the same, which we saw a little bit of in issue number eight what's changed, which we saw a little bit of in issue number nine. And so you can make that argument. And it's, look, it's a very valid, very lucid argument. It's just that the issue ultimately is that those issues were fill-ins because of the fact that the GIF was having trouble managing his workload. And lest anybody forget, basically up to that point, he was basically the, the lead writer on the title and the lead penciler. I think he even did some of his own inks at one point. <clears throat> he had a pretty heavy workload, is what I'm is what I'm trying to say. It's a pretty heavy lo uh, workload, just for the Legion. This was not the only the only uh, iron that he had in the fire, though, guys. I mean, he was a busy man. This was just one of his projects that he had going on, and so I guess what I'm saying is I can see where he would have had trouble just you know keeping it going, you know, month to month to month. That makes a lot of sense. In fact, I'll even go out on a uh, on a limb even more and say I'm kind of surprised that it was issue number eight before the heavy workload finally caught up with them. I have to believe that mere mortals, uh, they would have buckled under the weight a lot sooner than the gift did. So by no means is any of this meant to be uh, some kind of a criticism or an indictment or anything like that of the gift. I'm just saying that issues number eight and nine, those were fill-ins because of the fact that he, at this point, was officially having trouble keeping up with 
his own self-imposed workload, right? And so no matter the creative and artistic value that I believe issues number eight and nine have, their sole reason for being, when you take everything else away, is to basically give the GIF a little bit of a breather. Because when you look at it, he didn't really contribute very much, at least by numbers. He didn't really contribute very much to those two issues. And I have to presume that while those issues were in production, he was concentrating the great majority of his attention on Legion of Superheroes number 10. So anyway, my point in all this is to say that it's great to have him back. I love this issue and it's it's just really enjoyable. So that's, I guess, kind of like the 60,000 foot view. So getting into page one properly, though, the story picks up on Wynoth with Roxas. He's in disguise as this kind of weird, semi-green-looking alien-looking guy. And this is just... Page one here is just... It's another... It's like it's a snowflake in a blizzard of examples of why I fucking love Five Years Later. Or at least the the portion of Five Years Later that I love as much as I do. I mean, I'm going to be the first to admit that the wheels eventually do come off the wagon in a pretty big way. With five years later, I'm not here to be an apologist or anything like that. I'm well aware of the fact that things take a pretty fucking decisive turn with five years later. And I'm, I am not blind to that. I am not ignoring that. I'm just saying that for me, the good far outweighs the bad. And to kind of bring it all back, page one is a good example of what I'm talking about, specifically Roxas. I mean, here, guys, we've got this, this, uh, murdering psychopath. I mean, he's uh, killed all these people, most of whom were complete, completely innocent. So, you know, yeah, Block, I guess, was completely innocent, although he was more of a target. But there's been a lot of fucking collateral damage going on with Roxas throughout all of these different issues. And so the guy's just a maniac. He's a murderous psychopath, so on and so forth, right? And yet he takes moral offense to seeing uh, people running around without their clothes on because again i guess a uh i guess i shall we say a more knowledgeable or a more seasoned legion of superheroes fan can tell you more about why not than i can but it's very nudity is very much the norm on why not i guess it's just a, a cultural thing for them and so i don't know if during the five-year gap Wynoth became more of something like a red light district or, or, or what. But suffice it to say, whether Wynoth is a planetary brothel by this point, or if it's still the good old days when people just, Wynothians, just like going around everywhere they go on their home planet with no clothes on, God help them all. I mean, can you imagine the sunburn? Uh, the, Roxas takes moral offense to that. He even says, this is page one, panel six, Clothes optional. Is there no morality left in the universe? And it's like, dude, how fucking many people have you killed? And it's just, it's such a Roxas thing to say. I just love this, you know? And look, I don't want to belabor the point here, but it, it just, you got to figure that for a lot of, uh, a lot of mortals, it's enough for them that they've got a murderous psychopath running around somewhere in their comic book to be the big bad so that the villain or the the heroes have a, a villain to fight but for for comic book creators who operate you know two or three levels higher than, than than the average mortal 
people like the GIF. It's not enough to have just a bad guy in your comic. Uh, uh, Roxas, he's he's got just this warped, demented point of view on everything. Yes, he is a bloodthirsty maniac. Don't get me wrong, but he has standards. You know, he has warped though it may be. He does seem to have a kind of twisted, sort of moral universe that he does somewhat try to work within and it's clear to me that he does have it's a weird fucked up almost incomprehensible moral code but he does have something of a moral code and i don't know i just i I just appreciate that i have to believe that in the hands of a lesser writer one of whom would be involved with the legion of superheroes reboot In the hands of a lesser writer, Roxas would just be more of a generic bad guy, and for that reason, probably not very memorable. But the GIF, once again, takes it to the next level, and that's that's why here at Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, we love the GIF. So, anyway, um, another good little Roxas moment, again, here on page one. Uh, Roxas, his alters, or I don't even know what, well, fuck it. I'm just going to say his alters. They're having this sort of out loud sort of debate with each other. Some people, he he says, some people come here with serious business, not to ogle nubile young Wynothian flesh. And I have serious business. I think the clerk suspected. There was definitely suspicion in his voice. Man, talk about paranoid city. He didn't have clue one. Of course not. My disguise is infallible. No one could possibly suspect. How could they? So true. You look like a pickle, and you smell like one too. <laughs> and uh, I just, I just love this. This is, it's actually. You know what? I'm gonna kind of go out of sequence here a little bit. There's a, a little bit from the uh, Tom Beerbaum Live Journal. It's okay. I'm a senator. He even wrote a little bit about this. He says. Uh, the issue is a really good deal more violent than I'd have than I'd have wanted to see, with some really brutal injuries being dealt out by Roxas. And we led people to believe we'd seen the deaths of Cam, Joe, and others, so there was a fair amount of negative reaction to this issue. Of course, Joe wasn't dead and had been ha- had been instead sent off into a long-term storyline elsewhere, while Cam would use his malleable uh, Durlin form to survive what would have otherwise been fatal injuries. And so here we've got uh, Tom Beerbaum. He's basically acknowledging the fact that, yes, Roxas is a bloodthirsty maniac. Let's let's not kid ourselves. But he also, he also goes on to say in this exact same journal entry, again, I think the direction the character, meaning Roxas, I think the direction the, direction the character took may have really pivoted on a chance comment I made when Keith was proposing some major power for Roxas, and I replied with little enthusiasm and said, I envisioned him, meaning Roxas, as someone who was enormously dangerous, but not because of a particular physical power. While it was off the mark as to what I was really trying to express, I finished the thought by saying, like the Joker. And I think that planted the seed for what Keith's Roxas became. He's certainly not the Joker. He's more insane and more violent than most depictions of the Joker, but we definitely get an interesting take on the character by letting the Joker inspire us a little. And I tend to agree with that. I mean, Roxas is nuttier than the Joker, okay? This I do affirm. But when you move away from that, there's there's just a warped uh, perspective that 
Roxas speaks from. Then, of course, there's also his altars. There's he. Yeah, I recognize the fact that he is different from the Joker, and I would say more dangerous in a lot of ways than the Joker. Uh, so, look, I don't know. It's just I like the fact that Roxas's his uh, his penchant for murder, his absolute lack of value for sentient life is sort of contrasted with you look like a pickle and you smell like one too. You know, I, I, that, I mean, to me, that combination is successful and I just appreciate the fact that the GIF was willing to invest this, this much thought, this much creativity, this much development into Roxas. You know, I don't think necessarily very many people would have complained if Roxas had been a little bit more two dimensional. And so it's for that reason that the fact that he's so, he's just so perfect that to me, that's what really takes it to the next level. You know, that's really icing on the cake. So anyway, to finally move on to other things, though, we get into page two. And honestly, if this is the first time that you're that you're reading this issue, I, I, I think I could forgive you for thinking that Roxas is maybe going to stay on the periphery a little bit more. And this is going to be more of a warm and just kind of, I don't know, uh, tender heart-filled kind of issue. Because this really is a, a, a big-time reunion for the Legion. On page two, you've basically got uh, Rock, Garth, and Joe, and they're all in the same room together. And you get the idea, this is the same time, or the first time, that they've been in the same room together. It may very well be five years. You know, this could be the first time all of them have been under the same roof in a pretty long time. And this is something that Rock, at least, is, I think he's very much aware of. He even says, uh, page two, panel five, you're kidding. Brainy's here too? Boy, this is turning into a regular Legion reunion. And that's when Garth makes his big dramatic entrance. Room for one more in your little reunion? And page two, panel nine, uh, Rock and Garth, they, they give each other the, the man hug. And where they both, you know, it is like guys, you know, when they hug each other, they try to go... They both try to go around the shoulders, you know, because you don't want to be the one. Anyway, it's just stupid guy bullshit, really. But it's just something that guys do. And they're giving each other the man hug. And there's just a real happiness and a, and joy in seeing each other again. And it's, I don't know, I just, I just really, really dig this page. So anyway, and speaking of this whole Legion reunion bit, Rock is not the only one who's thinking about that. Because on page three... Uh, near the end, uh, the last three panels of uh, page three, you've got uh, Ayla Rands. She's uh, wandering around, you know, what she calls it, the old battle wagon. And uh, she says, wow, talk about deja vu, seeing that old battle wagon and just when half the ex-Legion is visiting. It almost feels like, like there's a Legion again. And you know, Ayla, that wouldn't be such a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. And... It's like the Legion is just sort of organically coming back. The individual Legionnaires, this is something that they want to do. And it's like consciously or subconsciously, they're trying to make that happen. And the reason that I like that is, number one, this is a, you know, this is a Legion of Superheroes uh, title. Sooner or later, we do need to get the Legion back back together, you know. But I like the fact that it doesn't really matter how badly they got beaten down by EarthGov. It doesn't matter 
that one of their own members has been murdered by Roxas the bloodthirsty lunatic. It doesn't matter that they're all kind of struggling right now with their own shortcomings, their own heartbreak, a sense of rejection, lack of self-confidence, um, uh, guilt in some cases. All of that stuff is just, or for that matter, even business concern. None of that stuff really matters. This is, they provide a sense of order and balance to the universe that the universe itself seems to crave. And it's like, it's the universe that's bringing them back together. And God, I just fucking love that. That is so, so anyways, uh, moving right along, we, we get into this, you know, this bit of business where, uh, and, and this is on, uh, page six. We, I think this may be the first time that we meet a character called Bounty. And I may, I, I this is not the first time that we've met, uh, uh Devlin Orion. Uh, I do know he was sort of the Jimmy Olsen, uh, figure in maybe it was Legion of Superheroes number five or number six. It's, it's something like, no, it couldn't have been five, maybe six or seven. I don't know. It was one of them. But so this is definitely not the first time that we've seen him. Um, but I do think this is the first time that we've seen him in several issues. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. But I, I reserve the right to be wrong. I do think this is the first time that we, that we're introduced to the character Bounty and that's how she's addressed. Bounty. You don't know exactly who she is, at least not yet, but there are some clues as to her true identity. And I've spoiled ahead a little bit on other things. I don't, I don't think I want to spoil ahead on this. I mean, honestly, finding out Bounty's true identity is one Google search away, and I can't really stop you from doing that if you're so inclined. But then again, I guess if you don't know who she is, it's like, what, have you just not read these issues before? And if you haven't read these issues before, why are you listening to me now? Okay, whatever. So point is, there are some very solid clues laid out in terms of who Bounty truly is. And whether or not this is her first appearance, and honestly, my memory is sort of short on that. We may have actually seen her before in Devlin Orion's company, and I'm just blanking on it, but whatever. There are, like I said, this is the fucking point, if I can never get through it, is there are some real clues set out as to who she is based in part on her tracking abilities. And then also, if you look close, this is uh, page uh, page six, panel five. There's a semi-close-up of Bounty's face. And on the uh, right side of her jaw, you can see what looks to be like a tattoo, I guess, the Timberwolf symbol. And obviously she's a woman. She's got excellent tracking abilities. Honestly, for a lot of Legion fans, that may be enough right there. But I hear tell that some people were in the dark about that for quite a while. So, I mean, I don't know. But either way, uh, if, if you know, you know. And if you don't, well, enjoy the revelation, I suppose. But either way, she figures out, holy shit, you know what? Roxas is here. He's somewhere on Wynoth. And I'm gonna find him. So she makes a run for it. And, I mean, honestly, this is the sort of thing, being as I'm kind of a legion of superheroes sort of sort of dumbass, that I probably wouldn't have picked up on this right away if I'd been reading, reading these issues when they came out. And so this would have been kind of a pleasant little surprise for me. So, anyway, that's 
I guess really neither here nor there. Getting into page eight, basically Roxas decides it's time to to make his big play on on Wynoth. And the, it's like the instant he decides to do it, he instantly comes face to face with Mecht Rans, the reformed Mecht Rans. Now, I have to assume that this is that Mech's uh, reformation basically took place during the five year gap. And so as a result, a lot of Legion fans, when they were reading this, they may not have, they may not, in fact, I don't think they, w- they would have been aware of what exactly had happened with Mecht. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit, but they wouldn't have been aware of what exactly happened with Mecht and why are, why are he and he and Roxas getting crosswise with each other like that? Um, and so it's just, grist for the mill, I guess. It's basically, it introduces some new mysteries and I don't know. It's just, it's lots of fun. So getting into page nine, the fight's on. Uh, Bounty finally catches up with Roxas and he seems to hear her coming or sees her. It's not really clear, but he basically realizes that she's there keeping an eye on everything. And so he blasts off some explosives at her. She throws some, I don't even know what these are, little dart looking things at at, at him and god this is just this is just so good it's more of roxas being roxas he he's sitting there he's covered in blood and all this stuff and he says that tears it really do you know young lady how hard it is to get blood stains out of satin and she doesn't even really have time to answer because come to find out the explosives that were used on her at the top of the page well they were laced with a toxin and that toxin starts making starts working its magic on her at the bottom of page nine. And so she collapses. She's down for the count, at least for the time being. So getting into page 10, Mech does everything, okay? He really does everything to try talking Roxas out of doing this. And in the end, and this is uh, panels uh, four, five, and six on page 10, uh, he reluctantly... Uh, zaps Roxas with his uh, ele- uh, electricity, and the way he's uh, he's hanging his head and his shoulders are slumped, you can kind of tell that this is not what Mech wants to be doing right now. And I've even got a little bit of a not a theory, uh, maybe maybe a suggestion on all of this, but we'll circle back to that much later on in this episode. But for right now. You can you can tell just from Mech's body language this is not what he wants to be doing. He and not even just that it's Roxas. It's that it's a fighting at all. He doesn't want to fight anybody. He wants everyone to live in peace. And so I suppose a seasoned, knowledgeable, knows what the fuck he's talking about Legion of Superheroes expert would probably find this very shocking, so to speak, from seriously that was completely unintentional very shocking coming from mech uh mech rands of all people so what the fuck so anyway so that's that <laughs> at the bottom of page 10 i <laughs> i love this roxas has been zapped with mech's electricity and now his hair is all standing up straight and everything and and i just like mech just makes this impassioned speech he implores roxas he says come on roxas listen to me sooner or later you have to pay for everything. Please, it doesn't have to go on like this. You can change. Believe me. And at the bottom, uh, like the uh, panel nine on page 10, uh, <laughs> Roxas just looks bamboozled as fuck. Like, what happened to you, man? 
Because just it, it was on page eight. Roxas tried like hell to get Mech to join him. He's like, okay, I don't want to do this, but I'll let you kill a couple of Legionnaires too, but don't get in my way. You know, it's like, now he's like, what the fuck happened to you, man? Like, you, you used to be great. What changed? You know, he's just giving them this look of complete confusion. And the thing is, guys, I've said this before. I think I've kind of beaten this into the ground, in fact, a few times. But I'm not an artist, okay? I have no real, uh, like, visual arts eh, talent, right? That's just not my thing. I don't... I don't have those abilities. Uh, I've got other abilities, but I don't have those abilities. Still, I've always thought, you know, it would have to be hard to draw a look of complete confusion, you know? Like, confusion in a way where the character's intelligence is preserved. I mean, if you want to make somebody look stupid and and confused, I I don't know this to be true, but I would imagine that's pretty easy. To make somebody look confused but intelligent i would imagine that is a lot harder to do and that's conjecture on my part that's me making an educated guess i'm really saying that in spite of the evidence page 10 panel 9 where the gif makes it look just so effortless you know like uh, rox is just it's like he doesn't even know what to think like what the fuck did i just hear what what are you talking about, man? You know, just this confusion, you know? And it's like he's, it's like at the same time he's confused as hell, like what is happening here? You can see him, he's just casually taking a, taking a gun out of a, out of his uh, uh, chest holster. And he basically blows a hole in the wall directly behind uh, Mecht. And then as Mecht is down for the count, he's bleeding from God knows what, Roxas just uh, kicks him and stuff. And he even says, and I thought we were friends. I thought we were going to share. Well, I'll kick, teach, kick, you, kick, to, kick, interfere, kick. And it's, I just fucking love this. <laughs> I love Roxas. <laughs> so anyway, moving right along, uh, this is uh, getting into a, a page 13. Uh, I, how do you pronounce, I can't remember if I asked this before. How do you pronounce this character's name? Jan? Like Element Lad, right? Jan or Jan? I mean, just to look at him, he's got this kind of Nordic, sort of Northern European look about him. So, you know, maybe you should pronounce it Jan, right? Except he's not human. He's not even from this galaxy, and, or at least the solar system. And he's from a completely alien planet. Who's to say that Jan is traditionally a woman's name there, you know? Maybe it's not. And so maybe you should pronounce it. So anyway, in the end, I mean, I don't know. How do you pronounce the name of this planet? Wynoth or Winoth? Uh, how do you pronounce any of these characters' names? And the fact is, maybe maybe it doesn't matter. So anyway, but we get to, my, my point is, we get to pay, uh, page 13. It's Joe and Jan, and they're basically f trying to figure out, you know, hey, what the fuck is going on? Joe uses his ultra vision sees what's going on and so he super speeds out of there and i just kind of like that i mean i like the fact that i don't want to go so i used to kind of consider uh, ultra boy to be kind of han solo with powers and to be honest with you i think that was probably a pretty or a kind of a fair summation of the character 
you could say that it's really five years later where he starts getting shaded in a little bit more. And you realize, you know what? There's actually more to Joe than meets the eye. You know, but I get the idea that his natural personality, he is kind of a Han Solo figure. But he's a Han Solo figure, as we're going to get into in some future issue. He's a Han Solo figure who's really good at playing his his cards close to his chest. He knows how to... He knows how to keep a secret. He's intelligent. He's smart enough to, to see the big picture and correctly figure out what's really going on, you know. But it's like at the same time, that doesn't make him less of a, a kind of a Han Solo type of type of figure. It just makes him a more well-rounded character overall, you know. And I like that. And there is a, a kind of a hot-headedness about this where once he uses his Ultra Vision and figures out that Roxas is on the planet. It's time to get to work. And so he super speeds out of there. That sort of impetuousness, I don't know, that that works for me. So anyway, getting into page 14, we get into some, now we're getting into some serious violence where uh, Cam and Celeste, they both get shot uh, by Roxas. Cam takes it straight to the head and it comes out later that, actually, you know what? I don't want to get into that. I don't want to spoil too much ahead here, but uh, well, fuck it. Beer bomb already kind of spoiled it for me. Obviously, obviously Cam isn't dead. But for anybody else, or even for that matter, any other Durlin, these would be fatal injuries. They're just not because Cam, well, he's, this is not his first rodeo, put it that way. So anyway, so Cam takes it to the head. Celeste takes it right to the knee. I mean, God, how much, how, how bad would that have to hurt? But it's like, as if that, well, we'll circle back to more with uh, Celeste later, but uh, page 15, we get a, uh, we get more of an idea of, of what's going, or more Legionnaires get an idea of what's going on. Imra basically reaches out across uh, Wynoth and trying to figure out, you know, what's happening and specifically where Roxas is located. And she eventually finds Roxas, you know, doing this kind of mental search for him. And page 15, panel 8, you can see the the process of touching Roxas's brain fucks Imra up pretty good. So, uh, the again, page 15, panel 8, uh, the dialogue balloons, you get the idea that these are all Roxas. It says, liar, liar, killer, information first. We got no mercy. You killed us, so kill her. You'll get no mercy. Kill them all. No, no, not yet. Information first, then kill her. You killed us, kill her and so on and just the sheer number of personalities that roxas has combined with the fact that let's face it his mind has got to be a pretty fucking dark and twisted place i can see where that's going to eat emra's sack lunch so i don't know i just i just like that so anyway moving in uh, uh moving ahead this is uh, page uh, 16 and basically this is this is roxas beating the holy fucking shit out of Celeste. And honestly, I mean, you get douchebags like Gail Simone out there sometimes who bitch and complain about women in refrigerators and violence against women. I mean, it's like, it's okay to have comic books where men are violent to each other, or for that matter, that women are violent to men, but you can't have men being violent uh, to women because that's violence against women and we can't have 
And it's like, God, I, can you imagine? Can you just imagine? What must it be like to be Gail fucking Simone? Like you wake up every morning hoping that you're somebody else. And nope, you're still Gail Simone with everything that implies. You know, I mean, God, that would, that's just gotta be exhausting, you know? So you have to find some new thing to bitch and complain about on Twitter. The fucking patriarchy. God. Anyway, my point in all of this, though, is to say that, you know, this is, this is violence. And yes, it's against a woman. This is violence. It's ugly. And it's, it, 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 it's brutal. It's visceral. And it's completely who Roxas is. And it's, there's nothing titillating about this. There's nothing exciting. This is just horrifying. I mean, Celeste is even begging for mercy. She just, she can't, she can barely speak. Uh, She's gotten her head smashed against a wall. She begs for mercy. And uh, so for her trouble, she gets her head smashed against a wall again. Roxas realizes, you know what? She probably doesn't know what I'm talking about here. And so he smashes her around the room again. And basically, what Roxas is trying to do here, he says, this is pa- uh, panel two, he says, don't play, uh, don't play cute with me. You and I both, kn-, and he's talking about Don, uh, ah, fuck it, I'm just going to take it from the top. He says, uh, my sweet, tell me, why did the discheads, meaning the dominators, why did the discheads send you after me? She says, discheads? Dominators, you nitwit, dominators. And she says, dominators didn't send me, EarthGov did. And he says, don't play cute with me. You and I both know they're the same thing. She says, same thing? I don't know what you're talking about. And that's when he really starts beating the shit out of her. And getting into page 17, though, Joe finally arrives and he beats the holy shit out of Roxas. And honestly, guys, I mean, it's one thing to say that, that aside from the fact that he can only use one power at a time, Joe is more or less on a par with, uh, I don't know, Monel or with Superman. It's one thing to say that, but I don't know. For some reason, it's always easy for me to, to forget that. And yet, when you see stuff like this, where he is just beating the shit out of out of Roxas, it's it's I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe this is a Magnus problem. I don't know, but. It's easy to forget just how powerful Joe can really be, you know? It, uh, I don't know, I like that. And of course, there comes this moment where, this is at the bottom of uh, page 17, Joe has to trash talk a little bit. He says, thought you were going to get away with it. Bloody murderer. Thought you could go around killing legionnaires and never pay the price. So you murdered Block in cold blood. Now you've probably added Mecton Bounty to the list. And it's like, I get it. Roxas needs a breather so that he can uh, get the drop on Joe. But it's like, Joe, now's not the time to let up, all right? You don't stop punching him until you get to, uh, well, basically, skull and brain tissue, you know? Uh, Just keep pounding away at him until he's gone, you know? So, I don't know. But again, there needs to be a moment where... Roxas gets his breath so that he can spring his trap on Joe and so he does he throws this I don't even know what there's this blinding flash of white light that envelops the entire room Roxas is still there but Joe is gone and honestly just just reading it 
if you know what happened to Joe, everything that that Roxas is saying here at the bottom of page 18 rings true. But if you don't know what happened with Joe, you might think Joe's a goner. And so I kind of like the ambiguity of this, that the GIF is not lying to us. Now, if we wrongly interpret what he wrote, well, that's not his fault. You know, he, you know, uh, the, the monologue or the dialogue or whatever you want to call the stuff that Roxas says, it's got that ambiguity to it where when we find out what really did happen with Joe, this dialogue makes, if anything, even more sense. But just reading this, ignorant of what's coming in the future, yeah, you could probably think that Joe is dead, gone, buried, and maybe even forgotten. So, anyways, moving right along, we basically cut to a news break that basically breaks down everything that's happened, um, not just on, like, the last couple of pages, but I would say really for this this entire this entire issue. Basically, Roxas's entire assault against the Legion of Superheroes and it's it's maybe it's only when you get to page 19 panel 8 that you realize holy shit this is this is a big deal Devlin Orion is missing Mech Rans is in critical condition uh, Celeste Rockfish is in extremely grave condition and then Bounty Reap Daggle and Jonah are presumed fucking dead uh d- whoa that's that's heavy you know i mean if you didn't know that roxas is bad news before guys look at this he's well i don't think devlin really counts uh but he's basically taken out five different people three of whom are fucking legionnaires he's not a lightweight you know so anyway i I guess what I'm saying is I understand where Beer Bomb is coming from a little bit when he says that the violence in this issue is maybe it is a little bit over the top, but it's like we haven't really we haven't really number one, I wouldn't say that the issues up to this point have been all that violent, number one. And number two, what we have seen of Roxas, at least so far, I mean, yeah, he's he's a murderer, he's a psychopath and all that stuff. But we, I don't think we've really gotten a full sense of just how dangerous he really is until now. But now we know. So, anyway. Uh, page 20. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I kind of tackled it in the summary. It's basically these two dominators, God knows where. It's not really clear where they're supposed to be. But they're somewhere, and it looks like they're taking a bath or something. I, I don't know what the fuck. Some kind of green... It almost looks like it's mud or something, like some kind of uh, pink mud that they're in. I don't know. And so they're basically laying down, really for the benefit of the reader, what exactly the Dominators are up against. If it comes out that the Dominators secretly control EarthGov, EarthGov kind of sort of controls the UP. So basically the Dominators control the entire fucking galaxy. So... Not very good if people start putting two and two together on all that, which they may very well do, even if a bloodthirsty maniac like Roxas is the one that tells them that the Dominators have basically taken over EarthGov. So at this point, oddly enough, the Dominators are kind of depending on the Legion to take Roxas out before he has a chance to say anything to anybody. So... Irony can be a real bitch sometimes. So, anyway, getting into page 21, the, you got the green, the great big green glob of semi sentient energy on its way to Wynoth, and 
it vanishes. There's really not very much else to say besides that. Anyway, page 22, uh, Tenzel arrives on Earth, and again, I, I'm not exactly Mr. Knowledgeable Legion of Superheroes guy, so it's kind of... I'm not really sure if uh, the GIF and the beer bombs are basically redefining or recreating, or for that matter, just expanding what uh, Tenzel has always been. You know, this kind of smart-ass sort of troll kind of guy. I, you know, I just, I, I don't know, like I say, if that's something that was created specifically for this run of the Legion, or if this is who the guy's always been. But I got to tell you, I love Tenzel in this issue. And obviously we're going to be seeing a lot more of them uh, to come. And that's pretty much the end of the issue. We've got this back matter in uh, the last two pages. There's, this is basically a, uh, the first uh, back matter. This is, it's basically a, uh, an expose on what exactly is going on with EarthGov and uh, very possibly some kind of a connection to Roxas. Now, it's not made clear, or it's not even suggested, in fact, that the Dominators are mixed in, uh, mixed up with this at all. So it makes sense that the the Dominators are scared. People seem to be figuring out that EarthGov is somehow connected to 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 Roxas. So if it comes out that EarthGov paid Roxas to go around killing Legionnaires, people are going to start asking, why would EarthGov want that? And the answer that they may come across is that the, the Dominators control EarthGov? Yeah, that's not very good. So it actually makes a lot of sense that the Dominators are scared shitless over that. So that's pretty much that. Next, the, the second uh, back matter. This is, it's basically a journal, and it's not really made completely clear whose journal this is. But it's basically a journal that chronicles the rehabilitation of Mech Rands and uh, basically the sort of rigorous psychological therapy that he was put through. And it's honestly, it's really too much to read here. It starts at day one, obviously, and then goes up to day 829. And it basically charts his growth, his progress, and just all of the different improvements that he that, that he makes. And it it puts his implied rehabilitation from earlier in this story. It really does put that into some kind of better context. And so all in all, I just I I, I don't necessarily get into all of these back matter pages, but the 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 two back matter pages in this issue, I really dig. They uh they work for me. I I, I like that. So Anyway, and I think that's pretty much the end of uh, Legion of Superheroes number 10. So what I'm going to do right now is vamp for time and make it sound like I had all of this planned out far in advance, when in fact we all know that I didn't. But make it sound like I had all of this planned out so fucking far in advance that uh, I already knew what feedback I was going to read and what it was going to be all about, when in fact... You might say that every that the the uh, the choice that I'm making in terms of whose feedback I'm reading is is being done kind of sort of completely at random. Don't really know uh, what it's actually going to be though, and I could probably tell you this with a bit more clarity if Gmail would fucking load already. But for some reason, that's just too much to ask for, and I don't know. Um, so I'm just apparently I've got no choice but to uh, take a look at this. But to take a look at this uh, using my phone, 
So uh, bear with me while I take a look at this using my phone and continue vamping for time. While, again, I make it sound like I had all of this worked out so far in advance when, in fact, I did not. So uh, here we go. Okay, so this comes in from Steve Rogers, dated February the 3rd, 2019, because my browser is just giving me no end of fits. Uh, the title of this... The title of this email is Storyline Plans, and before I get into that, I'm getting kind of thirsty here, so I want to get a drink of my orange vanilla Coca-Cola. I also want to get a little bit of vapor, too. <clears throat> All right. So like I say, this comes in from Steve Rogers. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, Steve is a, a, a pretty active uh, participant of the Two True Freaks uh, Facebook group. And he's he and I, we've traded uh, PMs on Facebook just bunches and bunches of times. You know, he's a good guy. I do consider him a friend. And uh, let's see what he has to say. Steve writes, not sure why I never finished and sent this, but it's it's still interesting reading i hope i forget the ultimate point i was going uh, i was going to that i left off at perhaps something that division of fans of the show versus fans of the established characters/franchise and how massive interjections of the latter influence and or rather how massive interjections of the latter influence decisions that will upset the former and i guess that's sort of like his uh, prologue into the email that he says he never quite finished, which begins with, Your Excellency, the discovery of a brand new Smallville podcast that is kind of doing what you originally thought of doing with your every eight episode Smallville retrospective in terms of indexing all the shows, not in, not in commentary form like you had intended, but an episode per episode index of the series, has gotten me to get around to do some catching up and listening to your Smallville discussion episodes. I'm going to put your email on pause here and say, yeah, uh, Steve, I, I think I know which Smallville podcast you're talking about. I've even listened to it a tiny bit. And what I ultimately ended up just kind of having to do was bow out of it. It's not that it's a bad podcast. It's, it, it's a good podcast. But the thing is, maybe it's just what kind of a insecure dick I am or something. I, I don't know. But I don't want to listen to that show and then somehow uh, be influenced uh, in, in, in what I say. And then maybe it sounds like I'm stealing their ideas and not giving them credit for it. You know, I mean, that would really bother me. So yeah, I'm pretty sure, like I say, I'm pretty sure I know which Smallville podcast you're talking about. Um, and like I say, I've got nothing against them. You know, they, they, they do seem like pretty good people and it seems like they make some, some pretty good shows. I'm just trying to explain why it is that I ultimately decided, you know, I, I don't think I want to listen to that show at least too much, at least right now. So anyway, uh, Steve goes on to say something caught me early on in your brief mentioning of how Clark Chloe seemed to be the favorite ship of the part of fandom that were into shipping characters and pointing out the painful, uh, painful, obvious lack of chemistry of Tom Welling and Kristen Kruk to make Clark Lana the serious thing the show wanted it to be. 
Of course, you laid out the obvious reasons why, even in a clean slate universe like Smallville was set up to be, you couldn't quite have Chloe be an ersatz Lois Lane if you want to tie yourself to the idea that, yes, this Clark Kent Superman, or Clark Kent slash Superman, will have his life intertwined with a woman named Lois Lane later in his life. Especially if you are using the Lana Lane character that traditionally has been the one Clark left behind in Smallville, quote-unquote, throughout all incarnations since Lana's creation. Granted, Lana was the ersatz Lois in the, in the Silver Age, but once the books grew up from the Silver Age nonsense of, of resetting near, nearly every issue and seemingly being written with grade school mentalities in mind, that would be the lane going forward. And Steve, I want to put your email on pause here for just a minute and say, you know, you're really bringing up a bunch of different subjects here. Uh, one of which is, you know, yes, I do stand by the fact that Tom Welling is, in my estimation, a good actor. And Kristen Krug, again, in my estimation, is a good actress. But they did not bring out the best in each other at all. I get the idea that they were cast individually. And so for that reason, the the showrunners chose the actor that they thought would be the best Clark and then the actress that they thought would be the best Lana not really considering that, or for that matter, maybe not even completely aware of, the just total lack of chemistry that Tom Welling and Kristen Krug have with each other. Again, they're fine individually. They do fine scenes with other actors all the time, even in Smallville. One might say, especially in Smallville. I'm just saying that they are not complementary towards each other at all, at least as far as performance is concerned. So there's that. The other thing is, yeah, you know, you do run the risk of making uh, Chloe redundant the instant you introduce Lois Lane. But I do I do somewhat balk at what you mentioned about Lana from, and I mean comic book Lana. Uh, Lana in the comics, specifically uh, the pre-crisis comics, um, I, I don't know as I'd go so far as to say that she was a superfluous ca uh, character. Uh, a lot of people, it's like they have this memory of... Uh, of a sort of Betty and Veronica uh, dynamic that Lois and Lana were were working with. And I do think that you can find instances of that, at least in the Silver Age. Whereas in the Bronze Age, Lana would kind of go back and forth, like, does she love Superman or does she not? Does she love Clark or does she not? The, the sense that I always got out of Lana is that Clark had... And I guess this would be somewhat dependent upon, you know, who's writing at any given moment. But Clark could have ended up with with Lana. I mean, that was a possibility. Whereas, and I mean in the Bronze Age. Like, Bronze Age Clark could have ended up with Bronze Age Lana. And I don't think that would have been a stretch, really, for either of them. You know, whereas I don't think Bronze Age Clark ever had a snowball's chance in hell most of the time of ending up with Bronze Age Lois. I just don't see that as a possibility. I mean, there are times when uh, Lois's torch burned uh, bright and exclusively for Superman at times, whereas other times she didn't really seem like she was, she didn't seem like she was really invested in anybody. There were times when she was definitely choosing to be single. There's this storyline from like 1980 or 81 where Superman and Lois, I mean, they have a pretty hellacious breakup, you know? I mean, yeah, you know, it's comics, and so you know that the hero really, at least this was the thinking at the time, the hero really can't 
settle down and get married because we have to publish new stories every month and so how would that work? Which I think says a lot about how comics creators of that time viewed marriage and how differently people today view marriage. But um, yeah, you that seemed to be that seemed to be it, you know. But my point here is to say that there are times when Lana is sincerely in good faith attracted to Superman, other times where she's sincerely and in good faith attracted to Clark, and there are times when she's just not interested in either of them, you know? And so so there's that. I mean, basic my point in saying this is that Bronze Age Lois and Bronze Age Lana, they get to a point where they really did have very different motivations from one another after a certain point. The other thing is, you know, I mean, I, I, I can kind of understand your point whenever you say that Lana is kind of redundant. Like, Bronze Age Lana is kind of, like, adult Bronze Age Lana is sort of redundant, you know, living, uh, living her life as a member of Superman's supporting cast. I can kind of understand where you're coming from with that, but I don't know, maybe it's just that Look, maybe there's uh, character depth and development here that's completely headcanon. I'm the one who's projecting this onto the characters. I just see a little bit more nuance to it than that. I mean, to me, they're different enough, just barely, but they are different enough to justify them being in the same story with each other, you know? So, I, I, again, I understand your point, and I certainly, you know, I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong. I'm just here to say that I, I disagree. So, anyways... Uh, Steve wraps up his email by saying, well, even though the premise of the show de jettisoning the Clark-Lana relationship for a more fan service one of Clark-Chloe, comma, and <laughs> that's where Steve ends his email, because as he said in his little prologue to, the, to this email, he doesn't really remember where he was going with that or what his point was going to be. And so, anyway, but all the same, unfinished or not, Thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate you taking the time to write in. I hope to hear more from you in the future, whether it's about Smallville or if it's about anything else. You know, that, you know, it's all good in, in my estimation. So anyway, so that's that. Now, uh, I think that's pretty much it for uh, this episode and, you know, this discussion of Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Number 10, and this feedback section. As for next week, I'm going to finish up all of my Legion of... At least my plan is for next week for me to finish up my Legion of Superheroes discussion, at least for the time being, by talking about Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Number 11. And this this uh, this issue, Number 11, this is just a real hoot. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But that's, that is for next week. So I think that's pretty much it for me for this week. So... Bye, everybody. I will see you next week. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. 
There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise! Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.